Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Deep left field! This is Welcome Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. We reviewed all of the infield positions. We broke down the outfield, which brings us to those mysterious starting pitchers. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, December 12th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. And today on the show, it is our starting pitcher recap. We'll take a look at some league-wide stats, break down the top 20-ish starting pitchers from this past season, and we have some smaller moves to discuss. <laughs> no Shohei Otani signing, if you want to hear about that. We did an emergency podcast over the weekend, so make sure to check it out. Uh, but we do have like Tyler O'Neill to the Red Sox. The Yankees and Dodgers made a small trade. So we'll break down those things towards the end of the show. And Scott, I'm just going to jump right in because <laughs> I have an absurd amount of notes for each player. Obviously, we're not going to get to all of those, but want to try and dive a little bit deeper and, and see how, how far we can go on each of these names. Let's start with just some league-wide trends and a snapshot of pitching for the past three years. ERA over the past three seasons, starting in 2021, 4.27. If you remember, that was the last season with the juice ball. It was 3.97 in 2022, so a huge drop. We're like, wow, pitchers are back. They're awesome. And then in 2023, we had 4.33 ERA. That obviously included the pitch clock, shift restrictions, stolen bases are way up. And it looks like the ball was a little bit bouncier, at least uh, compared to 2022, you know, using like home run to fly ball ratio and all that kind of stuff. If you look at whip the past three years, it's been 1.3, 1.27, 1 1.31. So not huge changes there, but Scotty, that ERA, <laughs> that, that ERA has, uh, has jumped around quite a bit over the past three years. And here we got 4.33 in 2023, the highest during that span. Yeah, and it was for slightly different reasons. I mean, home runs did go up again in 2023 from, from 2022. But offense was being created in other ways, too. There were more hits on balls in play. Obviously, a home run is out of play. So more hits on balls in play with the, the shifting restrictions happening. There was more action created on the base pass with stolen bases going way up. Uh, and so that had a negative influence on the state of pitching. And it, going even beyond, I think, what we saw at the juice ball era, at least impacting the high end 
of the the pitcher pool more than in the juiced ball era because when during the juice ball era when offense was primarily created through home runs, you had some pitchers who could limit damage just by missing bats, by keeping the ball on the ground. There, there created a larger disparity, a larger gap between the haves and have-nots at the position. But that disparity shrank in 2023. This is the formation of the glob, the infamous glob that we talked about so much during the second half of the season. Uh, where, and I don't know if it's entirely because the rule changes or, you know, with some of the high-end pitchers, it's, it's, they just stopped striking out so many hitters, which was weird. So maybe it it may have been more just something that happened to happen to the highest-end pitchers that made it so all at once, just by some fluke, they stopped striking out so many batters and became less dominant for that reason. And it, it may have it may have been a confluence of events, is what I'm saying. You know, there was they've they've been cracking down harder on the sticky substance ban every year, and maybe it was that taking effect. It's it's hard to pin down exactly what happened to the state of pitching, but the bottom line is the top of the rankings wasn't nearly as dominant as we've seen in a long time. But basically the entire approach of to pitching has to change unless you think it was just a total fluke one-off year that as opposed to the start of a new trend. And, you know, as you pointed out, you know, starting pitching, it was less reliable. I mean, obviously up top, again, you mentioned that there were more blow blow ups this year. Again, it's uh, the shift restrictions, posing batters, getting on base, and then just, you know, creating more offense, stolen bases, uh, a player moves over, uh, and then more hits getting through. You obviously see that reflected in the whip as well. Uh, And a much bigger middle class, which, you know, you you kind of infamously called the glob throughout the season. Uh, And you brought up some interesting stats towards the end of the year, kind of reflecting this as well. So if you use fantasy points per game on CBS, the head-to-head point scoring format, if you look at starting pitchers, with 18-plus fantasy points per game, there were only two this year that averaged 18 or more. In 2022, there were eight of those. So four times that amount. So obviously there were more aces, they were better up top, they were more reliable. Starting pitchers with 17-plus fantasy points per game, there were only two. (laughs) The two that I already mentioned that also averaged 18 fantasy points per game, I believe it was Garrett Cole and Schreider this year. In 2022, that number doubled from the previous one. 16, 16 starting pitchers with 17 I mean, that, plus fantasy points. I mean, that sums it up right now, right there. Yeah. 2023, just two pitchers with 17 or more points. In 2022, it was 16. And that's uh, the, the, the upper class is gone at the position. And I will point out because people will say, okay, well, if 2022, it was the deadened baseball. It makes sense that there was a, a higher number of dominant pitchers. You go back to 2021, the last year of the juice ball era. And let's see, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like there were there were a lot of pitchers averaging 17 or more points that year, too. Yeah. So it really was an oddity for 2023. Yeah, and then, you know, if we, we look at that middle class and we try and figure out, I mean, these are arbitrary numbers that I'm using, but if you look at starting pitchers that were between 11 and 16 fantasy points per game, there were 44 in 2022. There were 59 of those in 2023. So, again, all of those pitchers that were not up top got pushed down 
into the middle, into that glob of starting pitcher. And that's kind of where we're at right now. Scott, since the season has ended, you've done your rankings. You've had a chance to look at things. Have you surmised anything from pitching this past year? Have you used any of the data to figure out maybe what you want to do next year? Or if there's a constant theme among the pitchers that you found that were successful or anything like that, because I'm still kind of working through it myself, to be honest. Yeah, so I'm a little reluctant to make it all about 2023 because it was such an oddity and I can't pin down the exact reason why it changes. I I have a bunch of theories and I I laid out some of the the potential variables already. And to be fair, with Major League Baseball, we never know. (laughs) We never know what could change. So, so. I have nailed down the approach I want to take, and I was satisfied with the way our first mock draft went using this approach. It, it does mean that my pitching rankings are going to be uh, they're, they're going to there's going to be a clearer distinction between my pitching rankings and maybe the industry as a whole than than usual. I'm, I'm mine are going to look kind of weird by comparison, but it is by design, and it is with the my mind on my mindset here is to simplify things to get back to basics at starting pitcher to really fixate on what is the biggest difference maker there to give myself the best chance of standing out from the glob and that's strikeouts and it's not just an upside thing it's partly that yes the pitchers who miss more bats who avoid damage on contact by preventing contact altogether. If, like if more contact, if, if more contact is call, causing more problems with the shift ban, best just to prevent all contact altogether. And of course we've always known that's the case, but it's also strikeouts are the most predictable thing coming off a year where there were these extreme swings in, in performance by every pitcher at all levels. Like they could dominate or get roughed up for eight runs is is kind of the, I theorize it was kind of a like uh, it was easier to, for things to kind of snowball and spiral out of control for them with so many more base runners and that's why you saw these extreme fluctuations from one start to the next. But coming off that year of so much unpredictability at starting pitcher, I want to know what I'm getting when I draft it and strikeouts. I think are the the, the thing you can predict the most from year to year because it's something a pitcher has direct control over, how many strikeouts he gets. So if you target strikeouts, and I'm thinking specifically for a Roto League, if you, if you emphasize strikeouts above all else, you'll probably win strikeouts. Like you, you can kind of take that to the bank. And it's very likely you'll end up with a better ERA and whip too just because, again, the pitchers who are missing more bats have the higher overall upside if they're avoiding contact altogether, they're going to, they, they improve their chances of avoiding damage. Well, so I'm, I'm emphasizing strikeouts above all else in my pitching rankings. And that's why they're going to look a little weird. And while I agree with that, I, I think that that makes perfect sense. The problem that I've run into when I've already done two drafts, like drafts that I'm actually going to play out is the pitchers that get the most strikeouts or have the highest strikeout rate, let's say, or the highest swinging strike rate, K minus walk rate, stuff like that. A lot of them are pitchers that come with risks. I mean, obviously, look, pit, uh, all pitchers comes with, come with risk, but these are names yep. that come with more injury risk, like a Tyler Glass now, or even like a Tariq Skubal, who we haven't necessarily seen do it 
over the course of like a full season, like 180 plus innings or anything, or Freddie Peralta, who has a history of shoulder troubles, right? So it's, these are the kind of problems that I'm running into. Like, yeah, we all like strikeouts, but obviously uh, some of those right. names are really risky as well. And, and that's, that's kind of where I was in, I don't know, more recent years, the past five or six years, kind of looking for that, Kind of trying to find a market efficiency since the rest of the analytical world had caught up to the strikeouts thing that you know I was pushing many many years ago, and durability was something that I really focused on in recent years, and I had some success with it, not as much as I would have liked, and last year just basically destroyed it because the glob was so vast and so like. Uh, hard to break free from that investing in durability just didn't give you any kind of advantage. It felt like, like it, the, my pitching performances in my, in my leagues, particularly the Roto leagues were just so random. And I'm trying to break free of that randomness by giving myself more upside. And yes, there is some more risk for each individual pitcher you take, obviously not throughout the rankings, you know, but you get to the middle stages of the draft. The reason those big strikeout guys are going there is because there's more risk with them. But if you have to fall back on a glob guy during the season, like you're not really losing anything. That's that's my theory with it anyway. Obviously, the deeper the league is, if you're talking like some of those 15-team leagues, okay, there's, there's not going to be any even globby pitchers out there on the waiver wire mm-hmm. uh, over the course of the season. It's going to be pretty rare anyway. But if you're talking about a 12-teamer, yeah, those globby guys are going to be popping up constantly on waivers. All right, so let's get into the top 20 or so from this past season. We'll try and uh, review as many of these names as possible. And I'll, I'll throw them your way, Scott, in terms of trios. Obviously, we can talk it out. I, there's a lot to say about each of these pitchers. But the number one pitcher this past season was Garrett Cole, who uh, just won the first Cy Young of his career, the American League Cy Young winner, now 33 years old, 263 ERA, a .98 whip. 222 strikeouts over 209 innings pitched, and he did it in a different way, not as dominant as a, on a per-inning basis. We saw the strikeout rate drop. The swinging strike rate came way down. I mean, we're talking about 11.7%, lowest we've seen since 2017, which was his final year in Pittsburgh. So lowered the strikeouts, but what he did well was limit the home runs, which has been a huge problem with him uh, for the Yankees over the past couple of seasons. So he did it in a different way, but overall, obviously, it worked for Garrett Cole. The number two pitcher was Spencer Strider, who uh, obviously the ERA was inflated, 386. The whip still solid at 109, led baseball with 281 strikeouts. All the peripherals say that he should have been much better than he actually was with that 386 ERA. Uh, The home run rate, doubled, more than doubled this past season for Spencer Strider. I do wonder if the innings jump from 2022 to 2023 maybe kind of affected him down the stretch and and inflated that second half ERA. Uh, And then Blake Snell, who was the other Cy Young winner in the National League, he just put up a 225 ERA, a 119 whip, 234 strikeouts, uh, just the second time in his career that he has had more than 130 innings pitched in a season, think about that. I mean, Blake Snell's been around for a while now. The two times he's done it, he's won the Cy Young in each of those seasons. Uh, but man, there's a lot to talk about with the control being an issue. Led the league in walks, 4.95 walks per nine. I know I'm kind of pointing out some of the bad things with Blake Snell. Obviously, he was awesome and his repertoire, like 
The secondary pitches are so, so good. Maybe that walk rate just doesn't matter. Currently a free agent, so we'll see where he ter- uh, winds up. But lots to talk about with each of these names, yeah. Scott. Garrett Cole, Spencer Strider, and Blake Snell. Your top three. Not your top three, the top three from this past season. Well, yeah, and I, I, I want to focus especially on Cole and Strider here because they're the two, right? They're, yeah. uh, they were the two who finished with 17 or more points per game, and they also happened to be more than 18 points per game. And so since they were the two, think think about this, because this kind of really sums up the state of pitching in 2023. They were far and away the best two pitchers for fantasy. And yet Garrett Cole had his worst year in like five years. His strikeouts were way down. And Spencer Strider had horrible ERA luck, an ERA pushing four. Uh, even though, as you say, the, the ERA estimators were all more around three. So horrible ERA luck for one guy. Uh, diminished strikeout production for the other guy, and yet they were far and away the best two pitchers in fantasy. So um, that that's kind of what we're looking at here with the entire pitching pool. Is is um, there's just not there's just not that slam dunk starter out. He's just not available now. I do think Strider Strider needs to be the clear number one because you're hoping. You're hoping those ERA estimators are a better indicator of what he looks like forward than than the actual ERA was. And some of the, um, as somebody who watched a lot of Spencer Strider starts, I know he was often cruising, and then there would happen. To, there would be an inning where a runner would happen to get on for some kind of fluky reason, maybe a second run or two, and then there's like a three run homer, you know, and 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 just he'd have an inning that would ruin him. And a lot of times pitchers can overcome that. He's still early in his career. But the bottom line is he had 44 more strikeouts than anybody else. He also had three more wins than anybody else. Not that wins are the most predictable thing, but you would think pitching for the Braves ahead of that offense, Strider's always going to get the run support to win a lot of games. So clear number one for next year, and I don't think you're going to see too much dissent as far as that goes. And... You know, normally I'd be worried about that decline in strikeout production for Cole. He's 33, you know, not a young guy. But where else do you turn here for the number two starting pitcher? You know, other high-end types like uh, Corbin Burns saw their strikeout production go down. There isn't enough reason to turn away from Garrett Cole given the, the what the rest of the position looks like. So... I'm not sure I'm going to be the one drafting Garrett Cole in round two in all likelihood is what it'll be. But I do think he's the pitcher who needs to be drafted there if one is going to be. Yeah, and with Garrett Cole, while the strikeouts came down, I mean, the ratios were still elite, right? 263 ERA, .98 whip. And we're now talking about sustained excellence for Garrett Cole. Since 2018, he has a 293 ERA and a .99 whip. So... He's just done it for so long. I think it's kind of the benefit of the doubt here as the uh, the SP2. I think some people might try and make the SP1 argument. That won't be me. But yeah, I think those two are very clearly the top two in ADP uh, this upcoming season. With Blake Snell, I think we'll wait until he signs this offseason where we can kind of talk more about his landing spot. Because look, if he goes to somewhere like Boston, I'm not sure that that's going to be the best thing for Blake Snell's fantasy value with the green monster there. Uh, so we'll wait on him. But just wanted to point out how great he was allowed six earned runs on May 19th. He allowed three earned runs or fewer in each of his final 23 starts. Two earned runs or fewer in 21 of 23 of those starts. A 120 ERA total over his final 23 starts. 
Well, and I do want to talk about him a little because it does seem like the change up in curveball contributed to that. Like he struggled with those two pitches to the point that his turnaround in previous years, remember he had that dramatic turnaround late in the season in both 2021 and 2022. It was kind of from ditching that and just going fastball slider. But those pitches, the changeup and curveball took off for Snell this past year and gave him a, a rounded arsenal of dominant pitches. And that may have been enough to overcome the walk rate. I gave him a hard time all year for walking five per nine and saying, <laughs> will we ever see a Cy Young winner do that again? But I was surprised in putting together my rankings. You know, if my focus is going to be on strikeouts, if I'm emphasizing that over everything else, I was kind of surprised that I ended up ranking Snell as high as I do. Not that he's third for me, but he's in the top 10. And I ended up taking him in our first mock draft as, what was it, my second starting pitcher? So I, I might end up drafting more Snell than I thought. And if nothing else, you know he's going to give you that big strikeout number when he's healthy. And you can count on him helping to carry you in that category when he's healthy, right? He's another one where he's for for the most part in his career, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So, I mean, he did it in a contract year. Will he be able to do it again in 2024? I guess we'll find out on uh, Blake Snell. Let's take our first break. When we return, uh, we'll get into the rest of the pitchers here. Zach Gallen was the number four starter. So we'll lead off with him and we'll do that right after this. Welcome back in. Let's continue recapping the uh, top 20 or so starting pitchers from this past season. Number four was Zach Gallen, who uh, just had a 3.47 ERA, a 1.12 whip, and uh, career best control that we saw from Zach Gallen this season. Did kind of regress in the second half. Not as good in the postseason. I worry a little bit about the innings jumps. If you combine his regular and postseason 243 and two-thirds innings this year for Zach Gallen. I mean, that is a huge jump year over year. Number five was uh, Luis Castillo, who actually on today, December 12th, it is his birthday. Happy birthday, Luis Castillo. Turns 31 years old, a 334 ERA, a 110 whip. Has been rock solid since joining the Mariners. The control actually has gotten better over the past seven, uh, over the past couple of seasons. And the swinging strike rate still elite. 14.7% swinging strike rate, tied for third best among qualified starting pitchers for Luis Castillo. And here's your surprise, Scott. Zach Eflin as your number six starting pitcher this past season. He had an ADP of 282 before the season. So a true league winner, career year, first season in Tampa Bay, 350 ERA, a 102 whip. We are talking about pristine control here 1.22 walks per nine that was a career best uh, but he's now been under two walks per nine three years in a row so it seems like that is a legitimate skill for Zach Eflin can he carry it over can he stay healthy he's had lots of uh, knee injuries throughout his career as well three more big names Scott Zach Allen Luis Castillo Zach Eflin one of these probably not like the other in terms of rankings well yeah I mean I think after after Spencer Strider and Garrett Cole at the top of the pitcher rankings, there are five others who I, I think it's fair to consider true aces, at least whatever that means in today's context. And Zach Gallen and um, Luis Castillo would be among them. Zach Eflin, I can't put him there. I can't put him there. And, and what's funny about it is... For as as good as he was finishing sixth uh, as the as the number six starting pitcher this past year, he actually underperformed his 
expected stats quite a bit as well, like we said for Strider. Zach Eflin had a 350 ERA. That's compared to a 311 XERA and a 301 FIP. Yep. And yet, I'm a little skeptical. I'm a little skeptical. I'm trying to remember why I'm skeptical. I think just because it's, you know, Zach Eflin. And there's, I feel like there's a ceiling what, to what he can do in terms of strikeouts. He did have more than a strikeout per inning in this first year with Tampa Bay. But, um, I don't know. There are other pitchers I liked more, so he got pushed down in my rankings. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. To me, it's really the workload. I mean, we haven't really seen this out of Zach Eflin much in his career. Uh, he's only exceeded 160 innings twice. Uh, and I, as I mentioned, he does have a long history of injuries to both of his knees. So I, I do kind of worry about that long term for Zach Eflin. Was there anything you wanted to add on Gallon and Castillo? Because I saw you made a face when I mentioned how many innings he threw this past season going from 184 in 2022 to 243 and two-thirds this past season, kind of faded a little bit in the second half, wasn't as good, not as good in the postseason either. Gallon is a name, an early kind of standout for me, where I think I'm going to rank him lower probably than the rest of the industry and, and maybe versus ADP too, just because I'm kind of worried about that workload. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, of I, I said there were, you know, the two at the top, Strider and Cole, then five others, including Gallon. Gallon is the last of those five for me, and he's the one I'm most, I'm most unsure of being an actual ace in fantasy. Because in addition to those, that big spike in workload, that all those innings, extra innings taken on with the in the postseason, you now his average exit velocity is high, his swinging strike rate is low. He's just not. He just doesn't dominate in the way you'd normally think an ace would dominate. It's really that workload that's setting him apart more than anything else. So if 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 you're if you're factoring in some injury risk by him throwing four more, uh, I, I think there's bust potential there with Zach Gallen. I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. I'll still rank seventh, but there's some bust potential there. Yeah, and and Luis Castillo for me, I, I really do think he's rock solid. And you know, looking at your ranks, um, you have Corbin Burns at SP five. I think I'm probably going to have Castillo ranked inside of the top five, but I mean, we're splitting hairs and we'll get to Corbin Burns in just a little bit. But another name that I am a little bit skeptical of myself, number seven, Kevin Gosman. This past season turns 33 in January. So getting up there a little bit, he still has been, you know, one of the most consistent, I would say, over the past three seasons, a 316 ERA, a 118 whip this past year, 237 strikeouts, second most in all of baseball for Kevin Gosman. Uh, Zach Wheeler, just finishes the eighth starting pitcher, and uh, he's getting up there as well. Turns 34 in May. It is a contract year for him. He had a 3.61 ERA, a 108 WHIP. Uh, he has been a workhorse the past three years. If you combine postseason and regular season, he's thrown 188 and two thirds or more innings uh, in three straight for Zach Wheeler. He actually got better in the second half too. I really like Zach Wheeler. <laughs> Zach Wheeler might be like my SP3 ranked coming into. Uh, 2024 he's he's just he's four for me he's four he's so good uh and then number nine is justin Steele, who was a huge breakout this year he had an era similar to an adp rather excuse me similar to zach eflin so like a true breakout that adp was close to 300 entering this past year and uh he had a 306 era a 117 whip 
Kind of does it in a different way, Scott. It's a two-pitch pitcher coming from the left-hand side. It's a, a really good slider. It's a high spin rate fastball, but it's not big velocity. I mean, we're talking 91, 92 miles per hour, but obviously just does a really good job uh, hiding that fastball with deception, and the control improved dramatically. Can he carry that over year from year? Uh, I think that remains to be seen. So three more names here. Kevin Gosman, Zach Wheeler, they're part of that group of that top seven. Justin Steele is somebody who won't be. You're right. That is true. Gosman is my number three because of the strikeouts. So when, it, when in doubt, favor the strikeout guy. He had 237 and 185 innings. Uh, and no shortage of double-digit strikeout efforts. And was just really good. Really good. I, I think Kevin Gosman, if uh, I'm going to pay up for an ace and you know not going to pay like the, the Spencer Strider, Garrett Cole costs because you would be giving up an MVP caliber hitter to draft one of them. I, I think Kevin Gosman's going to wind up being the ace on a lot of my fantasy teams. His okay, so I have the actual number here: eight double-digit swinging strike. Uh, sorry, eight double-digit strikeout efforts from Kevin Gosman, second only to Spencer Strider. Uh, we talked about Wheeler. He did have a 3.61 ERA this past year, which was his highest in four seasons with the Phillies. But it was 3.08 in the second half. His expected ERA for the year was 3.21. His FIP was 3.15. Uh, I wouldn't hold that ERA against him. He's a workhorse, and he gives you enough strikeouts that, yeah, I, I think we can think of him as an ace. Steel, in a different category, I would say. But he got overlooked a bit in our first mock, and I ended up drafting him. What he did in 2023, I, I think, was basically his best Max Freed impression. High ground ball rate, very low walk rate leading to a good ERA. Like ERA was his specialty and the strikeout numbers weren't that impressive. Uh, but he, he was able to keep, keep that. He was able to keep that approach going all season. I think the innings caught up with him toward the end and his ERA went up a little bit, but it was still great. And, uh, I think he makes for a fine number two type starter in fantasy. I have him 21 in my rankings for next year. So he's in that range. All right, let's continue on here. The number 10 starting pitcher was Kyle Bradish, who finished with a 283 ERA, a 104 whip, and uh, he lowered the walks considerably year over year. 3.5 walks per nine in 2022. Dropped that down to 2.4 this past season. He also cut the home runs. Uh, for those who care, the Eno Saris's Stuff Plus metric, Kyle Bradish ranked second among all qualified starting pitchers behind all... Only Corbin Burns. So the stuff definitely plays up. We saw the change in the pitch mix, lowered that fastball usage, and uh, threw more sliders, more curveballs, and both of those pitches are elite for Kyle Bradish. The number 11 starting pitcher was Logan Webb, who put up a 325 ERA, a 107 whip, and he has become one of the uh, preeminent I would say workhorses in the game now. 216 innings pitched led all starting pitchers. Uh, put up the career best control of his uh, of his career. Doesn't make sense. Career best control of his career. Who's even talking here, Scott? Uh, and <laughs> elite ground ball specialist. 62% ground ball rate for Logan Webb. So he does give up hard contact, but a lot of it is into the ground. So obviously that helps. And then George Kirby, uh, who is entering the prime of his career. Turns 26 in February, just put up a 335 ERA, a 104 whip, the best control artist in all of baseball. He walked 19 batters over 31 starts this year, 
And something interesting I noticed with Kirby, strikeout rate went up in the second half from 7.4 walks per nine to nine strikeouts per nine. So one per inning, uh, K percentage also went up. And I noticed that started using the splitter more. And there was an interview with George Kirby where he said he found out how to use the splitter from watching Pitching Ninja interview Kevin Gosman. So Pitching Ninja had Kevin Gosman on his show. Kevin Gosman's talking about how he throws a splitter. That's how George Kirby figured it out. And then he started using his splitter 11% of the time in the second half. And it's a really good pitch for him. So I wonder if there's like sneaky strikeout upside if he starts to use that pitch more. So I don't know. That's like, I'm kind of excited about George Kirby. Uh, But any thoughts on him like Logan Webb and Kyle Bradish, man. Bradish is an interesting one too. This is, this is a fun group. Well, Logan Webb is my highest ranked for next season. And I think some people might be inclined to put him among that group of seven at the top right there with Zach Gallen. I mean, he was just what runner up for NL Cy Young this past year was Logan Webb. And he does deliver the big workload, more innings than anybody else in 2023. So this is one I'm going to be out of step with, with everyone else because of the strikeout. So even though he had the major league leading 216 innings, fewer than 200 strikeouts. So he just doesn't have the strikeout upside that I'm looking for in an ace, which is why I rank him only 15th for next year. Still the highest ranked of these three, but not... Probably not as high as everybody else is going to have Logan Webb. And I understand, like, he's probably good at run prevention with a league-leading ground ball rate, great control, and he's done it for a few years now. But I I want strikeouts. If I'm going to spend a lot on a starting pitcher, that means that's going to prevent me from drafting another starting pitcher. I want my investment in pitching to be devoted to strikeouts. So I'm purposely downgrading Logan Webb for that. Uh, I really like Kyle Bradish. Obviously, he's not going to be as costly as Logan Webb next year. But I I, I think he's... It's going to surprise people how he's valued in fantasy. He was the big... My biggest... Back when we did the breadsticks, my end-of-year rewards, Kyle Bradish, you might remember, was my biggest breakthrough. And um, over his final 18 starts, he had a 224 ERA, 0.92 whip, 9.6 K per nine. You mentioned the stuff; it rates high, and it rated high going into this past year too. Uh, you know, you know, Saris's stuff plus metrics. Kyle Bradish scored high on that then, and that's what kind of put him on my radar initially, because I wasn't blown away by the numbers. But now the numbers back it up, and I think Kyle Bradish, with the, you know, a good home venue, a great supporting cast, uh, I think he could be a really reliable pitcher at a time when there aren't many reliable pitchers. So I'm 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 high on Bradish for next year, 21st in my rank or 22nd in my rankings, I should say. The thing with Kirby and the splitter is interesting. He's still even in the second half when he upped the usage, still highly fastball reliant. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to predict that changing so much. He does seem like the kind of pitcher I'm not going to be as invested in since the strikeout rate is a little underwhelming. But he throws a ton of strikes and is able to work deep into games because of that. It's kind of the prioritize. It's the kind of pitcher I might have prioritized in in the past, but I'm going to less so now. He's 17th for me, so I still have him ranked ahead of Kyle Bradish, but not not by much. Yeah, I, I think it depends how people want to build their pitching staffs because. 
I agree with your premise of, of wanting to get pitchers with higher swinging strike rates and, and strikeout ability. But, I mean, if you tell yourself you want to get one of these, I guess, workhorse anchors up top, someone who you know is going to be a positive contributor and whip like a Logan Webb or George Kirby, and then kind of take your risks after that on some of those like higher strikeout upside guys. I don't know. Like a Tarek Skubal or Freddie Peralta, I don't even know if it's going to work out that way. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have Skubal ranked ahead of all these guys. I mean, so. I guess you could do the opposite. I'll have already want. taken him by the time. <laughs> yeah, you could go like Skubal and then back it up with a Kirby, who's a little bit safer, something like that. It'll come down to roster construction, but the splitter thing is interesting, and it, it, it's something I want to read more about this offseason and find out during spring training. Is this something that Kirby plans to use more? Because if so, then I do think that there's a little bit more strikeout upside. Uh, then maybe meets the eye at first glance. Number 13 starting pitcher this past season. Not really sure how. It's kind of crazy. Chris Bassett was your 13th Obvious. best starting pitcher in fantasy. A 360 ERA, a 118 whip. Ah, I figured it out, Scott. 16 wins. That'll help with the uh, with the ranking this past season for Chris Bassett. Say what you want about the guy. He's not a sexy starting pitcher. He doesn't give you all the gaudy strikeouts. But yep. he has been consistent. If you uh, look at his ERAs, eliminate the short in 2020 because that was like an outlier, very low ERA for him. He has been between 315 and 381 each of his last four full seasons. That's a solid pitcher. And that's kind of who Chris Bassett is. He also turns 35 years old in February. So we'll see. Uh, Framber Valdez, oh, tough one here, man. I, I'm trying to dig in and, and learn as much as I can about him to see like what went wrong in that second half because it was bad, Scotty. A 345 ERA, a 113 whip overall. But if you remember, over his final 15 starts, Framber Valdez, a 455 ERA and a 122 whip. The control got much worse during that span as well. He suffered a right ankle sprain on July 1st. And I kept referencing that because basically after that is when everything kind of imploded for him. He didn't blame it on that. I can't find any quotes about it. So it's just purely speculation on my part. But I kind of feel like maybe that contributed to, to Framber Valdez having a bad second half. Maybe it was just natural regression for him. Uh, and then number 15 was Logan Gilbert this past season, who had a 373 ERA, a 108 whip. He has thrown 190 plus innings two years in a row. Uh, problem for him, he gives up a lot of hard contact, has some issues with home runs. Uh, so I think he's probably going to be in like the higher threes ERA range. But the whip is good. The strikeouts are solid. I think he's in that kind of, you know, Justin Steele, Kyle Bradish, solid SP2 range. Uh, that is Logan Gilbert's guy. Any thoughts on him, Valdez, and uh, Chris Bassett, your 13th best pitcher this past season? Yeah, you said Chris Bassett wasn't sexy. None of these guys are sexy to me. And and sexy is what I'm all about next year. I'm bringing sexy back <laughs> like Justin Timberlake. And so all three of these guys are probably going to be ranked lower for me than for the consensus. I'm surprised how much benefit of the doubt Framber Valdez is, has been getting. Uh, and really Aaron Nola too. Uh, that hasn't gone like I hoped it would because I still like Aaron Nola quite a bit. I still think he's potentially sexy, but <laughs> not so much Framber Valdez. And and what I noticed with Valdez is his ground ball rate plummeted. I mean, it was still among the best in baseball at 54%, but he's usually up there with Logan Webb. I mean, 65, 70% even. And so I think 
you know, he had success early in the year with the cutter, was getting more strikeouts because of it, looked like a potential Cy Young contender. And I don't know if he just lost the feel for that pitch. Maybe it had to do with the ankle, like you said. But he didn't, he, he was more vulnerable to damage because he wasn't allowing as many ground balls. Maybe that'll change, but if it changes, he's not getting as many strikeouts and therefore he's not sexy. So I'm just not, look, he's in my top, what is he? I have him 18th for next year from Valdez, but again, that's probably lower than most people are going to have him. And so I don't expect to draft him much. Uh, Gilbert. Gilbert feels like he is like he is perceived to be better than he is. I feel like because he's less than a strikeout per inning. The RA was kind of high because of his, uh, vulnerability to the long ball you know he's 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 somebody who you can trust to start like a must-start player and and maybe he'll remain as durable as he's been so far but I, I think he's closer to the Chris Bassett class than not I rank him ahead of Bassett but I'm not going to be especially eager to let uh, draft Logan Gilbert next year I'm 27th yeah I mean this is what's so what I'm finding to be so interesting about starting pitcher again is is trying to find that pitcher that kind of blends the the safety of innings with the strikeout upside or strikeout ability, and it's it kind of well, feels the, like it's tough to find, right? It's got like well, then it's an ace, right? Like, right, exactly. Yeah, you you, you have yeah. to you have to do one or the other, and I think it's more likely a Logan Gilbert is going to sink back. Well, like I feel like a Logan Gilbert type pitcher who's mostly excelling on volume. 185 innings is not that much better than a gloppy pitcher or at least the margin between like what it would take for him to drop into the glob is very small. And so maybe a high strikeout guy has more like just out and out bust potential than a Logan Gilbert. And maybe a Cole Reagans, for instance, has more out and out bust potential than a Logan Gilbert, but Again, I, I think in, in a standard size league, 12 teams or fewer, as big as that glob is, you're going to be able to manage your way through that. If he busts, if you make a big investment in Nicole Reagans or Tarek Skubal and he busts, you're going to be able to navigate that easier than if you just don't go after those guys at all and have to make do with, with Logan Gilbert's at the top of your rotation. I don't mean to pick on Logan Gilbert by using him as the example, but you know, yeah. it's just who we happen to be talking about right now. Right. I, I think I have to recalibrate my mind a little bit because the first two drafts I've done this offseason have been 15 team leagues. And I, I do play in a lot of 15s. And I know most people play in like 10 or 12 team leagues. And I, I play in a lot of 12 team leagues as well. So I think I just have to recalibrate. I, I'm thinking too much about like getting volume right now. Where am I going to get my volume from? And, um, Maybe that's why I'm I'm putting a little bit more emphasis on those pitchers, but we still have some time, I mean, Scott. I, I, maybe things will change again next year, and and <laughs> you know, <laughs> the volume guys will have proven to be better. Like Logan Gilbert is a glob pitcher. He, it's not just the volume that it, he that helps him stand out. It's the whip too. He's he's so good at throwing strikes. He had a 107 or 108, excuse me, whip this past year. Yeah. At a year when whips were up across the league. So I don't. I don't want to give people the wrong impression. I don't want to say Logan Gilbert is part of the glob, but I don't think he's going to distinguish you as much from the glob as a strikeout guy will. I'll save this for another day, but I think 
a topic point that I want to hit on is maybe the possibility of whenever you take a quote-unquote risky strikeout pitcher, you kind of pair him with one of these volume guys. But then even that, I don't know if that's the right way to do it. I, again, I'm still kind of like working through my strategy for next year. But, you know, if sure. you take like a, a Tyler Glass now, then maybe you take a Framber Valdez to kind of offset some of the volume concerns. Or that's just kind of how my brain is looking at it right now. But I'm not sure if that's the right answer yet. We'll find out. The number 16 starting pitcher this past season was Pablo Lopez, who had a career year first season with the Minnesota Twins. 366 ERA, a 115 whip, 234 strikeouts, tied for third best in all of baseball. The Twins really helped him take that next step. We saw a velocity jump on the fastball. We saw a brand new sweeper, which was an awesome pitch for Pablo Lopez. Uh, And he's now managed to stay healthy for 180 plus innings, Two years in a row. So uh, not saying that those shoulder concerns are completely behind him, but he's managed to stay healthy. So you feel a little bit more comfortable with that. Number 17, the aforementioned Corbin Burns, who finished with a 339 ERA and a 107 whip. I can tell you, as someone who had Burns on multiple teams, it felt a lot worse than what the final numbers look like. The final numbers look okay. But while it was going on, it felt a lot worse than it actually was. We now have a three-year trend, Scott, where strikeouts and walks are going in completely opposite directions for Corbin Burns, and that is something that scares me. I know he's entering a contract year, but I typically don't like to see uh, uh, something like that for, uh, for Corbin Burns. Strike, uh, swinging strike rate down to 12.2% this season, which, again, it's good compared to others, but it's not Corbin Burns-like levels we've seen in the past. And then Kodai Senga was the 18th best starting pitcher. This past season, um, first year with the Mets, and he was very good. 298 ERA, 122 whip, just over 200 strikeouts this past season. We know the control was a problem, Scott, but did improve quite a bit in the second half of the season. So we've got uh, an interesting group here. Pablo Lopez coming off the breakout. Corbin Burns, do you still trust it as an ace? Uh, And and Kodai Senga, who just had a, a breakout first season with the Mets. And now we're talking. I like these pitchers more than the last trio. We'll start with Burns because he is the name we're missing from that top seven. I have him fifth for next year. Sort of like Garrett Cole, he did take a step back with the strikeouts and that would be more of a red flag if the rest of the if the rest of the pitching ranks looked better than they do. I, I think Burns has a bit more of an excuse, and maybe and maybe this is why it feels worse, is because he started so poorly, and we just tend to remember the start of the season more, I feel like, either the start or the end, those of us who are still playing till the end. Uh, his velocity was down early on. His strikeouts were way down. The velocity normalized over time, and in the second half, Corbin Burns had a 271 ERA, a .99 whip, and 10.2 strikeouts per nine innings, which sounds a lot better. It sounds ace-like. He only had a 3-3 three and three record in those 14 starts, so it didn't feel as, like, because he only got three wins out of those 14 starts as good as they were, so it didn't quite have the fantasy impact that it should have, which is probably why he's down here at 17th. But I think the ratios, if you're not comparing them to past Corbin Burns, you're just comparing them to other starting pitchers. Corbin Burns still looks like an ace. And so I'm still ranking him like an ace at fifth for next year. Pablo Lopez is great. He's better than this. He's better than 16th where he finished. So Spencer Strider was obviously distant number one in strikeouts 
We talked about Kevin Gosman, number two. Blake Snell, this NL Cy Young winner, tied for third in strikeouts with Pablo Lopez, 234. And there's a reason why Pablo Lopez had so many more strikeouts. He went from being a fastball changeup guy to introducing this new sweeper that was itself was a, that itself was a huge swing and miss pitch to go along with that changeup. Uh, and, uh, you know, his, his expected ERA, his FIP were both much better than his actual ERA. I think he's going to pitch more to that ERA next year. Lopez for me, number 12 pitcher for next year. Kodai Sank is my number 13 pitcher for next year, just cause I like them strikeouts <laughs> and he proved himself to be one of the bat, best bat missers in the game with that ghost fork. His K per nine rate was tremendous. Uh, he did walk too many guys, but it got better over the course of the season. The ERA, all the numbers got better over the course of the season, but the, the walks most significantly. It's going to remain an issue for him. I, I think he's. you're drafting Kodai Senga with the understanding that your whip might suffer a little bit because of it, but the strikeouts are worth it, and I think he's going to keep the ERA down too. Yeah, that ghost fork ball, by the way, for Kodai Senga, just to put some numbers on it, a 110 batting average against... 26.8% swinging strike rate on that ghost fork ball. To put that in perspective, uh, Spencer Strider led all of baseball with like a 19% swinging strike rate. Kodai Senga's ghost fork ball, 26.8% swinging strike rate. It's just an amazing, amazing pitch. One of the best in baseball. And he was really, really fun to watch his first season with the New York Mets. Let's take our final break, Scott. And when we return, we will talk about some of the news and notes. We'll take... Uh, We'll wrap up on the starting pitcher side for now. We'll, we'll talk about some rankings coming up on the next couple of podcasts, but let's take this break and we'll get to some news and notes right after this. Welcome back in. Let's wrap up with some uh, news and notes. I, I know we typically get to news and notes earlier on, but I didn't want to break up the starting pitcher action. Anyway, can we just quickly talk about this Otani deferred money thing? Because we <laughs> did our emergency podcast the other day. We didn't have specific numbers yet. We, we heard reports unprecedented amount of deferrals in this contract. I mean, my gosh, Scott, 680 million of the $700 million that Otani is owed will be deferred until the end of the deal. So Otani will be paid $2 million per year for the next 10 seasons, which <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't fly for most players in baseball, but uh, mm. it will be for Otani. Obviously, he makes a bunch of money on like sponsorships and off-field stuff, but this is pretty insane. Like we've never seen anything like this. Seems like a very clear loophole in like the collective bargaining agreement. And I have to imagine more teams are going to try and do something like this, following what we just saw in this Otani contract. I would have to think so, unless it's outlawed. I kind of think it should be outlawed because nobody. Seems well, you happy can't. About you it. can't let the Dodgers get away with it and then outlaw it, right? Well, that doesn't feel fair. Well, I I don't know. At, at some point, you have to step in for the good of the game, and 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 maybe it won't become so widespread. So I I mean, initially, you know, I I saw arguments from people who basically said it was a bad deal for Otani. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's it's better to get the seven full seven hundred million over ten years than to get it over twenty years. Um, but you know, it it basically comes out to more like a $450 million deal because of the, uh, you know, the time value of money, basically. 
Uh, and I don't know how accurately you can predict it. Frankly, it feels like a pretty volatile time for the U.S. economy in general. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little reluctant to 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 state how much 680 million is going to be worth 10 years from now. You know, 10 to 20 years from now versus how much is worth right now. I'm a little reluctant to speculate myself, but because it's it's kind of a Okay, it was announced to 700 million, but it's not really 700 million because so much of it is deferred. And because it gives the Dodgers a loophole around the um, penalties um, and, and kind of eliminates the opportunity cost of, of giving this big contract to Otani because it's not going to prevent them from adding in the short term. It gives them a real competitive advantage there. Yeah. Doesn't seem like the owner should be happy about it. Doesn't seem like the players should be happy about it doesn't seem like anybody really wins in this deal except for the Dodgers themselves. And so that seems like a bad thing. And and maybe if, if, if that is true, then maybe we won't see a glut of other players accepting deals like this. Maybe it was just a one-off with Otani who makes a ton of money in marketing and is uh, with, you know, endorsement deals and everything. And so is, is not going to really be that upset about missing out on it in the short term. He's just a special player. And so these are special circumstances and not that many others would be willing to defer this much money for this long. But if it does become a trend, I think it's worrisome enough that it won't be for long. That's my hunch. All right. Well, good for the Dodgers. (laughs) They have Shohei Otani uh, this, uh, this upcoming season. Let's move over to a trade that happened last week. The Cardinals acquired Tyler O'Neill. Uh, no, that wouldn't make sense. The Red Sox acquired Tyler O'Neill in exchange for right-handed reliever Nick Robertson and a lower pitching prospect in Victor Santos. And Tyler O'Neill is now 28 years old, coming off yet another injury-riddled season. He hit 231 with nine homers, five steals, and a 715 OPS. He is just two years removed from having that massive season. 34 homers, 15 steals. Now he gets the green monster in left field in, in Fenway. So could help whenever he's on the field. But even more so, Scott, I think this kind of throws a wrench in some of our excitement for uh, the Red Sox youngsters because now you have Tyler O'Neill in left field, Jaron Duran mm-hmm. in center. Roster resource has Willie Abreu in right field, Yoshida at DH, uh, and no Sedan Rafaela. Rafaela yeah. could play infield if they want to go that route. Maybe he plays shortstop, Trevor Story to second base. They could find ways to make it work. I'm not sure that they're going to force it, but this Tyler O'Neill acquisition does kind of throw a wrench in things. Yeah, and I think Rafaela is the loser here, as as roster resource suggests. Sedan Rafaela, great defender in center field. The, the minor league numbers look good, but all the scouting reports say his swing decisions are just not up to major league standards yet. And um, swings at too many bad pitches. Uh, we saw the strikeout rate. It was much worse during his time in the majors than it was throughout the minors. And, and just still needs work on his offensive game. And so this buys them some time. Uh, William Abreu is the one I, I'm, I'm more excited about anyway. And he looked great during his time in the majors. And it doesn't sound like this O'Neill signing is going to impact his playing time. So I'm relieved about that. But given O'Neill's health history, I don't know that, you know, and maybe by seasons and say Don Rafaela is the everyday player for the Red Sox in center field anyway, because O'Neill hasn't, has had trouble staying healthy. And 
Another thing about O'Neal is, you know, he had that huge breakout season in 2021, looked like he was becoming a fantasy stud. In the two years since then, not only has he had trouble staying healthy, he hasn't met those exit velocities he put up in 2021. Not the average exit velocities, not the max exit velocities. It was a little weird. You'd think the max would be there, at least for O'Neal. And maybe having the green monster, you know, right-handed slugger, it's 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 such a unusual hitting environment that it can have unpredictable effects and and maybe O'Neill will be revitalized in fantasy, but I'm pretty skeptical for all the all the reasons I've already mentioned. The early ADP for Tyler O'Neill is 297. He's going just behind Tommy Pham and Sal Freelich, just ahead of Jake Fraley and Austin Hayes. Does that price tag interest you at all? Yeah. Yeah, I like him more than all the guys you mentioned there. Okay. Uh, Well, I guess the Royals are going to win the World Series in 2024, Scott, because they signed reliever Will Smith to a one-year, $5 million contract. Will Smith has won the World Series each of the past three years with three different teams. Uh, And I think it's a worthwhile gamble for the Royals. I mean, they just did something similar with Aroldis Chapman, and they turned him into Cole Reagans at the trade deadline. So why not try it again? Uh, Will Smith... Got off to that great start with the Rangers this past season, but wound up with a 440 ERA. The whip was still solid at 106. Did wind up with uh, 22 saves. He's getting up there in age. The strikeout rate has been dropping consistently for Will Smith, but he has tons of experience, Scott. I think there's a chance he gets the the first opportunity to to close games out for the Royals. A bullpen that also features James MacArthur, who looked... Solid down the stretch, and uh, Nick Anderson, who has some closing experience. So, what do you think on uh, Will Smith yeah. here? Will Smith has become this generation's pitcher whose closing opportunities just won't die because <laughs> he hasn't really deserved them for four years now, and yet he keeps getting them. The Royals were one of the few teams without uh, a viable candidate to close, really. And their GM, JJ Piccolo, said finishing games is definitely why I think Will was so attracted to us and there's opportunity here to do that. So he'll be bottom of the barrel closer because I don't think he'll be a particularly good closer. I don't think the Royals will win many games, but he will add some uh, some clarity to a back end of a bullpen that had none and get drafted in deeper rotisserie leagues as a result. Uh, by the way... Um, we talked about Shohei Otani. I did want to mention, because when we did our emergency podcast for him, at least I talked about how he was coming back from Tommy John's surgery. I got it in my head that that was the procedure he had. And to be honest, there isn't a lot of clarity as to what procedure he had. But based on the descriptions of the procedure he had, it sounds like it wasn't full-blown Tommy John surgery. It was that internal bracing procedure that like Reese Hoskins and Trevor Story have had. Uh, and, and so that... That uh, helps explain the optimistic timeline for him returning as a hitter. I will point out that procedure, the internal bracing procedure, has less of a track record than Tommy John. And, you know, the two examples I gave, Reese Hoskins, okay, it worked out great. Trevor Story didn't look so great when he came back from it last year. Don't know if it was the procedure's fault, but uh, I... I, I still think it's w- whether Otani looks like Otani at the start of next season is very much in question. A couple other news items to mention here. The Nationals signed Nixon Zell to a one-year, $2 million deal after being non-tendered by the Reds last month. And Senzel had some moments this year as like a waiver wire pickup, but he's now going from Great American Ballpark to Nationals Park. So obviously that's a pretty big downgrade. 
I don't think there's much to see there with Nick Senzel. The Tigers signed left-handed reliever Andrew Chafin to a one-year $4.25 million deal. Did pick up eight saves with the D-backs, uh, but then came crashing down. Don't think he'll factor into the back end of the Tigers' bullpen. The Marlins acquired catcher Christian Betancourt from the Guardians for cash considerations. Uh, Betancourt hit 225 with 11 home runs and a 635 OPS. My guess as of now, Scott, is that Betancourt is probably ahead of Nick Fortes as like the starter for the Marlins, I guess, but probably yeah. won't matter in anything outside of two catcher leagues. They won't. Okay. Uh, after trading Betancourt away, the Guardians signed Austin Hedges to a one-year $4 million deal who offers nothing offensively, but perhaps he does steal at-bats versus left-handed pitching as a short-side platoon with Bo Naylor. Max Stassi was traded from the Angels to the Braves last Friday and then from the Braves to the White Sox on Saturday in exchange for a player to be named later or cash, not both. And uh, if yeah. healthy, my guess is that Stassi and Corey Lee will form a catcher tandem for the White Sox in 2024. Sure. By the way, it's kind of funny. Like the Braves have already ended up saving a lot of money that they took on in that Jared Kelnick deal. They've, they've become like the facilitator for getting bad contracts to teams that will appreciate them. Um, and so that's that's what that Stassi maneuver was about because it freed up. Didn't it, didn't they weren't they able to get rid of Evan William, Evan White that way? Yeah, Evan White was in that, that deal, and they already got rid of Marco Gonzalez in the Pirates deal. Yep. Yeah, that, that seems to be their role. There you go. The Braves, they just, you know, keep on doing Braves things. The Yankees and Dodgers made a small trade. The Yankees acquired left-handed reliever Victor Gonzalez and infield prospect uh, Jorbit Vivas in exchange for shortstop prospect and former first-round pick Trey Sweeney. Uh, hasn't really worked out for Sweeney so far. It, this was more so about, like, 40-man roster manipulation. Uh, is there anything to add here, Scott? Do you have any thoughts on any of those? Nah, no? not really. They're, okay. you know, Vivas and Sweeney both have some prospect appeal, but it they're not like high-end prospects. And non-transaction related, according to Brian Cashman, Aaron Judge's toe injury is, quote, a resolved issue. Judge tore a ligament in his right big toe in June last year. He missed nearly two months. Now it looks like he'll be the Yankees starting center fielder again with Alex Verdugo in left and Juan Soto in right. And lastly, Ryan Mauricio suffered an apparent leg injury in the Dominican Winter League. No other specific information as of now, but something we'll have to watch as uh, the lead up to spring training because we were pretty excited about uh, Ronnie Mauricio as a late round sleeper next year. We're going to wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again Thursday. Bye-bye. Thank you.